1996, after nearly two decades spent touring the American Midwest with his heavy metal band Starfed, cult guitar hero Orin Moon disappeared without a trace. Despite dozens of distraught fans, the music industry barely noticed his absence. While law enforcement assumed Moon had simply fled the country or joined a religious commune, for nearly two more decades, the true story went untold. Then, in early 2016, a music journalist for National Independent Radio received an unmarked package that contained over 200 dated micro-cassettes with a handwritten letter that read, This is the story of Orrin Moon. He was an amazing musician, a loving father, and the best demon slayer the world never knew. Created by L. David Hessler. Part 2. Walking out of a funeral home feels like cheating death. Like you've made a deposit at the Bank of Souls and are lucky to get out alive. I mean... I guess sometimes you don't? Mel and I left the funeral home without saying anything else to her dad's old bandmate, Alonzo. He had been the heartbeat of Orin's band Starfed, a badass bassist who just oozed rhythm and crazy sexuality. I couldn't reconcile that version of Alonzo with the one who had told us Orin Moon wasn't dead. I mean, We'd all seen Mel's dad resting in peace in that coffin. But the worst part was that Alonzo gave me this damn recorder and trusted me with a task I don't even understand. A part of me still thinks this is just a waste of time. But... But I've seen shit, man. Mel told me to drive because she was too messed up, so I drove. We went all over town, taking the normal cruising routes like a couple of shithead teenagers. Mel didn't talk. I tried to make conversation, but it was like trying to climb a wall without any footholds. Every time I began to say something, she cranked up the volume on the car stereo or rolled down the window. Normally both. She blasted some wicked Jenny tracks as we wandered town, watched people react to our loud music. But there was no joy in it, no entertainment. The music was just noise, a blanket that she could just hide beneath while the world went about its business without her, winding away into the night and preparing for the next day, even though her life was a steaming pile of dog shit. It was almost 11 o'clock at night and we were still just driving aimlessly through town. 
we passed through one neighborhood where an old man was actually mowing his yard. At 11 o'clock at night, a cone of white light cut through the dark as he drove back and forth on a noisy old lawn tractor. The robust scent of freshly cut grass filled my car as we drove by the crazy old bastard. We should go to the hill, she said. Her voice startled me and I almost lost control of the steering wheel. She nodded and slapped the dash a few times. The cut grass had inspired her, triggered an emotional reaction that I was glad to see. She said, yeah, yeah, let's go to the hill. I said, you're already high. Wrong move. Even in the soft glow of the dashboard lights, I could see her furious glare. Her lips had pulled back from her teeth as she tried to keep herself from crying. It was worse than seeing your own parent lose their shit. She said she just needed to stop feeling for a little while. Grass Hill overlooked the Bethel Grove Cemetery south of town. I didn't grow up there, so I never got the full Grass Hill experience until I was 20 years old, when Mel brought me there. It was the only time we ever tried to fool around, and we realized it felt weird for both of us. So she told me stories about all the shit that had gone down on Grass Hill over the years. Legends about zombies, myths about vengeful spirits returning from the grave, tall tales meant to scare the panties off of frightened dates. The truth was that Grass Hill was just a place where people went to forget about their shit. In her confusion earlier in the day, Mel had left her weed at home. Luckily, I had two cases of Gold Star beer in the trunk of my car. Warm, sure, but it would get the job done. We spent a couple of hours up there after the funeral. Just trying to forget. Then at one point, while the moon lit the entire landscape like one of the funeral home's old fluorescent lights, Mel pointed down at the cemetery and just laughed. She said that was where she always expected she'd bury her dad. And it all made sense. This was her way of paying final respects to Orrin Moon, living out that fantasy version of his funeral that she wasn't going to get in real life. Now that she knew he'd be cremated and she'd never see him again, this was her own memorial service. We listened to Wicked Jenny's CD, Apostle Tongue, twice before calling it quits. We were just way too shit-faced. We went back to town and crashed at my place, too drunk to care about dirty clothes on the couch or all the random shit on my bed. She was so drunk she curled up in the bathtub with a few dirty towels, even though I told her she could take my bed. I fell asleep on the couch. And then someone knocked at my door. Drag me down to the hellhole. Where I come from 
It was almost 3.30 in the morning when I woke up to the sound of soft thumping against the door of my apartment. It reminded me of a dog's leg hitting the ground as it tries to scratch the back of its head. Slow, repetitive, persistent. My feet tried every way to sabotage my efforts in crossing the living room. I stumbled to the left, then lurched to the right. By the time I got to the door, I noticed Mel standing beside the couch. What the hell is happening? She asked. Still drunk as hell and holding herself upright by clutching the back of my couch. It was hard for me not to laugh at the way she slurred her speech. I peered through the peephole in the door and felt the strength rush out of my legs. Smile disappeared too. Standing on the other side of that door was the corpse of Warren Moon. Except it wasn't. This wasn't quite the body we'd seen in the coffin, neatly groomed and painted to perfection. This was something with sagging skin, missing hair, jagged yellow teeth. I stood there listening to the sound of myself breathing, and I realized it had stopped knocking. It gazed at the door, but it didn't look at the door. It looked past the wood and directly at us. At her. Mel asked what it was. I said nothing. My hands trembled against the door frame as I stared at the thing on the other side. She asked again. I still said nothing, even as it leaned closer to the door, like it could see me through the peephole. I expected it to mumble something like, Dude, just let me in. Mel pushed me aside, pressed her face against the door, and peered through the eyelet. A staggered gasp shook her body, and she stepped away, shaking her head. His eyes, she whispered. She was still drunk, so everything was so slurred. Would have been hilarious in other circumstances. Did you see his eyes? Oh, I saw the eyes. It was as if they had been scooped right out of their sockets and replaced with mounds of black mud. Tendrils of the stuff crawled down his cheeks and curled over the edge of his jawline. A few even slipped past his nose and lurched into his gaping mouth. I asked Mel if we should open the door. She stared at me with bulging eyes and said, Hell no! Something struck the door one last time, as if the thing out there had slammed its entire body against the other side. Maybe it used a fist, maybe its head. It could have kicked it for all I know. A few pictures on the wall beside the door danced. One actually fell to the floor, but it didn't shatter like you'd expect. And then there was a voice, soft, but only in the way that a strangled scream would be soft when muffled by a pillow in an adjoining room each syllable drawn out like air escaping from a punctured tire. It said, time's wasting.
Bad Notes is created by me, L. David Hessler. You can find more of my work at ldavidhessler.com, or you can follow me on Twitter at ldhessler. This episode's mixtape guest artist is Devil Electric. You can find their music on Facebook, Bandcamp, or on their website at devilelectric.com. If you like the podcast, become part of the community at patreon.com slash ldavidhessler. You can also leave a review on iTunes. The more stars, the better. Or just shoot me a message on Twitter and let me know what you think of the show. The title music is produced by Ethan Mikesell. You can find more of his work at ethanmikesell.com. The national independent radio host at the beginning of the episodes is portrayed by Adam Martins, my partner in crime fighting over at the B-Mega podcast, where we make new superheroes and villains every week-ish. The journey we face is long, and the nights will be dangerous, but at least we have each other. At least we have the music.